Career Disruptors is the podcast for senior managers who are not afraid to challenge the status quo, who challenge assumptions, and who push the boundaries and love shattering conventional wisdom. I'm Coach Caroline De Kimper, empowering professionals to build a personal brand that gives them the confidence they need to go after the career they want and deserve. This episode is the audio recording of a video or live stream because I know that many of you just love to listen to the juicy content. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hey, it's Caroline, career and leadership coach. And today we have all the way from Denver, we have Jen Bilger with us, and she's going to talk about leadership style and how that basically empowers or can empower your team and how you can identify and understand your own so you can do that. So welcome, Jen, to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. No worries. So before we dive in, I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. Oh, so um, right now I'm coaching and I coach on the behavioral side of business and I really enjoy doing this. But it grew out of a love of what I did in the corporate world because I was in corporate HR for 20 years. And so it's one of those things that the one thing that I learned is answering the question why behind things is actually the secret of how to solve whatever is happening or to get to the bottom of things or to really, truly help the individual, uh, whatever the crisis may be or whatever the good thing may be in the situation. So um, when I decided to leave the corporate world, I decided to take everything I loved about it and turn it into a business and help other people have a better understanding Um, in areas like leadership, communication, uh, sales, negotiations, everything, because if you know who you're dealing with, then you're speaking their language and you absolutely have an understanding of how to best connect. Mm, that's very, very true. So 20 years is quite a long time uh, to be in HR and then really taking everything to shift to your own business. So what made, made you decide to say like, actually, let's, let's start a business. What happened or what were the triggers that you, that you had? The funny thing is that the day before I decided to leave corporate and start my own business, if somebody would have told me I was going to do it, I would have laughed and said, not on your life because I'm not an idiot, (laughs) which I don't believe in that at all. I think it's the most wonderful thing I ever did. Um, I loved what I was doing until the day I didn't love it anymore. And what I didn't love about my corporate HR job was you, you have to deal with a lot of the bad side of business when you're dealing with it. And I love solving problems and I loved helping people, but I didn't like firing people. So it's in my last job, I had to do a lot of that and it just kind of broke me. And I said, I think I can make a better impact if I could do something else. And I decided to take what I was doing and what I loved and turn it into a business where if you're the only person, the only person you get to fire is yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Or you tell yourself off like, no, Jen, don't do that. Yes, very good. Very good performance. 
And you know what? I loved it till the day I left. I still love it. I have clients who I actually do executive coaching for now, and they will ask me HR questions. And I'm like, thank you. I miss it sometimes. You know, I don't miss every part of it because I love what I do so much. I literally knew there was something more for me out there. And I knew I was missing something. And the day that I woke up and said, I know what's missing. I, I know what I love about my job and I'm not going to continue to go to other companies to help each and every company. Because once I got a company really good at what they were doing, the processes were in place and everything was running smoothly, then I wouldn't want to up and leave. Well, when you're a coach, you get to work with a lot of companies. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. I so you have a lot of different situations. Yeah, yes, definitely. So. It's like, um, like if I look back at my corporate time, the things that I really loved was basically all the different stakeholders in a company yeah. and all the different, like sometimes you have like these big egos where you have to deal with that in the beginning you think like, all right, that might intimidate some people. Yeah. And then you actually get to know them and really understand it. It's like, and yeah, it's, 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 it's brilliant. So I loved working in corporate also, um, just, just like you, Jen. So from corporate to basically behavioral leadership as mm -hmm. one of the areas that you, that you focus on, like, why did you choose that aspects out of everything? So I chose it because when a manager would come to me with an issue or an employee would come to me with an issue, I literally would sit down with them and I would say, so why is it happening? And that's the core to what behavioral leadership does. It asks the right questions. It really gives you an understanding. I knew my managers. I knew my employees. Even with a team of 450 that I was supporting, I still knew the people I was talking with most of the time. So when you have an understanding of that, you can help them understand why something is happening. If it's a disconnect, if somebody's not performing, if somebody is not um, doing what they're supposed to be doing, if they're flying off and doing their own thing, you can basically have a better understanding of why it's occurring so you can solve the problem. If you're going through changes, you can better usher the change if you understand people. If yeah. you are managing a team full of people, if you know each and every strength of the employees and you recognize what their needs and motivations are, you can put them in the right part of the process and in the right roles within your team so it's effective and efficient. So a lot of times somebody would walk into my office and say something and I'm just like, have you talked to him yet? Well, no, I, I need to go through the formal process. And I'm like, go talk to him, go have a conversation and ask him what's going on. That's it. Just go ask him what's going on. Well, don't you want to be there? No, go do it. Come back to me if you have any questions. You know, it was more about, I, I've always been a teacher of, of how to fish rather than feeding the person for the day yeah. type individual. So I would rather help somebody understand how to go through that process on their own and then come back for guidance and advice. And a lot of times they were coming to me because somebody wasn't performing or their manager wasn't listening to what they had to say. Uh, you'd be surprised how many times somebody would come to me and say, I don't like my job. And I'm like, yes. you realize I work for the company, right? But they trusted what I was doing in the process because I would say, why don't you like your job? What's going on? And yes. when you figure out what is the cause of whatever's happening, the underlying factors, 
And you can look at the person and say, but do you really like to do that job? Do you really like to do what you're doing? And they look at you and say, I don't like this aspect of it. Well, let's see if we can solve that for you. Let's figure this out. Is it changing what you do for the team or is it changing the team? Is it changing the company? You know, what does that look like? And no, I didn't sit down with everybody telling them they needed new roles. I would just say to enhance what you actually do and to love what you do, here's what motivates you. And so being a leader that understands that about your team members, it gives you, first of all, it empowers your team to do amazing, wonderful things. But secondly, it gives you so much information. And it is quite interesting because a lot of people will say like, yeah, yeah, Jen, I know that. I know how to find the strengths and what motivates my team and what drives them. And yeah, yeah, I, I'm like, I know all that stuff. So where is the disconnect you think? Because like they think they know, but they don't know. <laughs> they don't know because they haven't asked the right questions. Everybody always assumes money motivates people. Money doesn't always motivate people. There are some people who are motivated by their need to help others rather than money. If money, of course, is a motivator, everybody's working to make money. There are very few people out there that actually work to work. That's that's it's it just doesn't happen very often. So everybody's working for their for whatever the pay is going to be. Um, and not a whole lot of people want to volunteer. So that is a motivator. But there are some people who are highly driven by that. There are people who are driven by recognition. There are people yeah. who are driven by and recognition comes in many different forms. Before I move on to other things, recognition isn't always an attaboy. You're doing a great job. Recognition can be promoting the person. Recognition can be increasing their pay. Recognition recognition is so many different things to people. And having a deep understanding of not only what motivates them, but what roles they really want to perform and what they do best in. You can have somebody who's an executor who just wants to do things and get the information from somebody else. Tell me what the plan is. Tell me the details of the plan. Tell me the process in which we're doing this. And I'm going to go and I'm going to rock it and I'm going to do it. And I'm just going to be the best one doing this because that's where they thrive. But you have them in a managerial role or you have them managing a function and they don't want to do that. They don't want to come up with the plan. But they're good at what they do when they do it. So you're mistaking that as somebody who can be a good manager of a function or of a team. So and they're misplaced. And it's not because they don't have skills, because everybody and everybody, you know, we always we absolutely hire people and do things and have people, um, you know, in we're looking at their skills to do the task at hand. But are we looking at the skills of what they're going to be doing? That's not just the process, not the task. So when you dig deeper and you understand those things and you understand that this person's recognition, source of recognition is allowing them to have more responsibility within the team. And that's a recognition thing. And they need that. And if they don't get it, they're going to leave. And, you know, the good news is most people take about 18 months to figure out that. <laughs> so you get them for a couple of years before they actually leave the organization. Yeah. 
but then then you put so much work and training in them and like you want to get it right and you want to know the signs and you you mentioned something really uh important a couple of things actually jen <laughs> but one one of the things that's really stood out was that that recognition piece have you ever read the book uh the five love languages Yes. And it's, it's, it is, it resonates very well with what types of recognition people like, because like, exactly. I, you so know, like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, like explain a little bit, like what it's about it and how it relates so that people that haven't read the book, uh, like understand like the connection. So I, I'm not going, I'm going to be horrible at quoting out of the book or anything <laughs> of that nature, because it's been a while. But how it relates is to best to best describe is what it is that is actually the true motivation behind things. Experiences can be a language for people and money is an experience. Money gets you experiences, but money isn't the experience. And if they hate what they're doing and their love language is an experience or something that has to do with that, then that's not going to line up with you increasing their pay because they're a good worker. And if money is their language or getting gifts or things like that is how their love language is, it's, it's, or whatever their motivations are. Like I said earlier, um, there are people who have an altruistic need to help people. That's their like. That's what it is. There are some people who are highly artistic and innovative in what they do, creative and creators. There are people who have this absolute need to want to have a better understanding spiritually of who they are and spread that information. There are other people who are motivated by knowledge and the gaining of information. Yes. So if you understand where all those people, what, what it is that motivates them, I'm highly economically motivated. I mean, I like, <laughs> but it's not money that it motivates me. Yeah, Economics, it's, it's resources. So when I'm making choices and decisions about things, being economically motivated, I am motivated to ensure I have enough resources to do whatever the action or activity is. If you know that about me, when you're talking to me and we're making a change, if you start the conversation with our budget is in line to be able to make this change, I have relaxed and all the stress is gone for me on whether or not now I'm down to saying, is this something I want to do or not do? I don't have to be stressed out about, do we have the right resources to do things? Yes. And, and, and it's often like, um, like understanding their, their, like you said, their love language and the way I always like very easy because it's been a while also that I've read the book, uh, that I always like capture it. And I say to my clients, it's like, first of all, read it because it's good for you to understand different dynamics in the team in a different, in a different way articulated in the book. Uh, but what it's basically essentially tells you is like some people like a pat on the back, literally saying mm -hmm. how great you do. And other people like like to 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 have the um the, the words like written or they like like to show that uh, in 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 secret like a bonus or anything. So other people like like in plain public. So it's really understanding, and it's not because you like something some way that you that this is the way the other people respond, and that is often the disconnect that that I see. That's that, 
people actually like just like think like oh yeah but everybody would like just a pay increase why not or promotion and there was one thing that you also said and i want to really dive deeper on that because you said like finding out what really makes them tick and really is important to them now in my experience people are so used to saying things out of lip service because they're programmed by society to say so rather what they really what really motivates them for example a promotion somebody would say like okay because they're so conditioned and so in the the rat race of work and just like that they are like okay do you want the promotion yeah 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 of course i want the promotion not really being connected with what truly drives them so they have lost that connection with themselves and therefore they say things to their manager or their boss or whoever it is what they think that they want to hear does that make sense jen it makes perfect sense and there's actually a group of individuals their specific style is actually they're known for shaking their head yes when they actually mean no and it's because they want to please everybody they want to be they don't want to upset or disrupt the harmony or security that's around them and if you know you're dealing with somebody like that i always say give them permission to say no which is as simple as saying, you know, I'm looking to promote a few people, you know, if it's about a promotion or anything, okay. you know, and I have a couple of rules. Are you looking for a manager of a team or do you really want just a little bit more responsibility if I was to promote you type thing? And of course, we don't always have those conversations, but you can have something similar to that and ask that question. Because I literally just got off the phone from coaching somebody who they're, um, coworker got promoted in, in the process. And they, um, they were like, they're a little hurt about it because they've been there longer and they wanted to get a promotion. And they said, do you want to manage a team of people? No. Okay. That was the promotion that was out there. Right? It was to manage, it was to manage the team. <laughs> So do you want the promotion for the recognition that you're doing a great job? What is it that you want the promotion for type thing? And come to find out it was, they wanted to move their role into a different type of responsibility. So they're viewing a promotion as something completely different. So you can ask those questions, but this is somebody who everything's fine. I'm shaking my head. Yes. I'm excited for the new person. And then when you say, are you really excited? You have to dig it and pull it out of them and say, I know you're not. So just tell me. So giving permission to say no. And in sales, you do certain things. You, you say things. Um, when you're a leader of a team, it's as easy as saying, I don't know if I'm completely on board with this. Does yeah. anybody else feel that way? Tell me why you don't feel like you're on board with it. It's giving them all permission to say no with something that's changing or something that's new or something that's being given to them. So they can say, hey, no, I really don't like this. There's still fear <laughs> behind it. Everybody has fear of telling their boss, yeah. I don't think this is the right procedure to do. Yeah. I don't think this is the right process to introduce. I don't think this is the right thing to move forward with. There's yeah. always people who are out there, but there's, and the sad thing is, 
that group of individuals makes up most of the people we deal with. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Why I, do you think that is? Like that people uh, are just like, like, and I, I'm, I'm not talking from an employee perspective because basically like you have two, two uh, sides here, I suppose, like one of the, the team member uh, and really like being afraid to voice that, oh my God, actually I don't want it, but I'm, I'm so scared to disappoint that person. But yeah. then on the other side, so that's the side that I want to talk to this uh, uh, um, talk about right now. It's like, why do you think leaders don't create that space for their team? Because the space may not be available to them. It may be a management style that is, this is what we're being told to do and we're not to ask questions. So it could be just the culture of the environment we're in. Sometimes it's because they truly do think it's a great idea. And there, there are very many people out there that do that as well. They think it's the best idea ever. And they really don't want to hear that it's not a great idea. And I mean, as a human, we have that as part of us. And I mean, think about if you're in a group of friends and everybody wants to go have sushi and you don't want to have sushi. If you fall into that group, and and I, I for years, <laughs> I actually have a funny story. I actually, for years, would not eat sushi. And I love sushi. It's my favorite thing to eat now. Um, but I didn't have sushi until <laughs> I, I will age myself right now. I was 40 years old before I ever ate sushi because I had food poisoning when I was younger and I associated anything that was not cooked with being something that could cause food poisoning. So I had major issues and I love sushi more than anything in the world. It's one of my favorite. <laughs> but if everybody's going to sushi and you don't like sushi, if you're in that group of individuals who wants everybody to get along and wants everybody else to be happy, you actually will say, I love sushi. Let's go have sushi and try to figure out what you can eat on the menu without really saying anything. But there are literally people out there who are um, want everybody to be happy, but they still want to have their opinion in there. And they will actually say, I'm not a real big fan of sushi, but I will go and find something on the menu. And then there's the people who think, well, I have the best ideas ever. I think we should have Mexican food or I think we should do this. And yeah. so it's one of those things. And so you get all these different types of people. And that last one is the person who thinks that they need to control the world and everything is a great idea. And they don't want to hear from anyone else regardless <laughs> of what has happened. And I was actually thinking when you said that, like, oh, I would actually say, like, hey, no, guys, sushi, scrap, I don't like it. Let's go for Mexican. <laughs> I would yes. You were going to do Mexican, too. I, you know, and it's so funny. Oh, I love Mexican. And, and it's just like, but when you think about how that happened, the, the three different scenarios there, there's another one that comes into play that would say something along the lines of, hey, you know what? I've done research of all the sushi places around here and none of them get high ratings. So I would prefer to go to the Mexican restaurant that's five stars. So, or I, I don't know if we have many Mexican. Here in Colorado, we have the best Mexican food. Uh, and green chili is to die for here. It's something. <laughs> and don't, don't know how we're known for these green chilies, but we are. Yeah. Um, I, love, I love chilies and I love Mexican. Like, yeah, good, fresh Mexican. Oh, to die for. It is um, but yes. it's, it's in the interesting. And I, I remember the teams that always managed I always had uh, the the view because I know I'm very direct and can be very passionate mm -hmm. about 
my opinion as a uh, like what we could do is like yeah let's march forward let's do this and it can be very if if somebody has, is more introvert for example more on the backstage like okay i'm going to just uh -huh. what she We're says do it because and that and that one group of people that makes up most of our most of the yeah. people we deal with actually are the people who are followers not leaders you're a leader not a follower and you want to take charge and you want to be in control of what's happening and control yeah. not in a bad way but with everything that's out there a good thing can become a bad thing Yes, and exactly. So when we were in a meeting, in team meetings or weekly catch-ups or whatever it was, in the beginning, I would um, say when it's a directive, like from the top, or if it's something like we're thinking about, because mm -hmm. sometimes you just have to follow stuff that has been like dictated upon you, whether you agree, and then you can still uh, create a safe space to uh, have that open discussion to say, what are your concerns and stuff like that. But in any other case, I would say before the meeting, I would say something like, hey, this is my idea, but let's brainstorm and just, I want to hear any opposing idea or opinion that you might have, like just like great. bring it to me. Because I knew that I was like too forceful sometimes with my ideas and I wanted to create that space that people felt safe to voice their opinion. Which is a really good thing to do. And what I normally tell people when it comes to behavioral leadership, there are two things that you need to understand. Number one is who you're dealing with within your team. The second is the situation you're dealing with. Telling and having that directive and directing whatever behavior is out there, that has specific situations where that's the best style to have. There are four main groups of styles that we deal with, but each has their uh, each has each has their time to shine in the spotlight of when they're the best style to deal with, and it comes in two different types of ways. The people that you're dealing with, because if you have a lot of people who are not an expert in the area, so let's say you have everybody coming in from out of town, you get to tell everybody where everybody's eating because nobody knows anything about the area. So you want to have that direct style because you want to get to the decisions and you want to be able to do the things that they're going to be able to enjoy. You're, you're saying, okay, you want Mexican food? Here's the best Mexican place to go to. Yeah. So you get to do it that way. But in the case of what you're doing, if you have people who have been into town before and they say, oh, I want to have Mexican. Last time we were here, we had a great Mexican restaurant. Can we go there? That's giving that input and taking that input instead of just directing them to where to go. So each situation has different styles that you really need to flow in and out of. And when mm -hmm. it comes to behavioral leadership, there are three things to remember. Know who you are first and foremost. Yep. Know who you're dealing with and what the situation calls for is the second thing. And the third thing is very simple. It's the hardest thing in the world to do sometimes though, but it's so simple. You adapt your style to meet the needs of the people and the situation. That's and it. And the ego comes in, Jen. The yes. ego. I need to be right. I'm the leader. <laughs> I know. And it's just like, but there are different situations. And I always yes. say, if we're planning something and you're not the expert, so you're the leader, you're the manager, but yes. you're the person who's out, you know, a fish out of water. You're the one that doesn't know anything about the area. You shouldn't be in charge of making any of those decisions. Somebody else should be. And it should be a consensus or it should be somebody who has that knowledge 
and expertise. So if you translate that into the business world, the people who have the expertise, the people who have the information and what the situation calls for is what you really need to be. Because we are always going to go back to what is comfortable for us. Yeah. Our specific style, it's always going to go back. And we're always going to go, especially under stress and pressure in situations. We are always going to go back to it. But if you know who you are and you know your strengths, you actually understand your limitations 100%. You embrace your limitations. I never tell anybody that their limitations should be completely null and void. You shouldn't deal with them. You should get rid of them because I think you should embrace your limitations because it gives you the opportunity to know where your strength doesn't lie and give somebody else the opportunity to shine. And as a leader, what, what job really suits you. Like I remember, like I say to my clients all the time, like I give an example. So uh, I'm really, whether I'm good or not good at looking at spreadsheet and analyzing data doesn't really yeah. matter, but it's like not my jazz. So even if I was like in my, earlier years when I was still going for interviews in corporate, I would say that to them if they said like, oh, I would say literally like my weakness is like um, looking and interpreting all this detailed data and see thousands of rows of spreadsheets, data that I have to make sense of. That's not my strength. My strength is like I surround myself with people that can do that. And then actually I take action and decisions based on the information that I've been given. But it's just like you have to really get in touch with what you're good at and what yes. what and there's always like something that that you're not good at and then that is fine, like embrace it like you say, Jen. It's like you it's about it. embracing it rather than like wiping it on the carpet. Yeah, yeah, I'm good at spreadsheets, and then they put you in a room behind a computer screen with thousands of row of things, and you hate your life because you have a job that you actually think like like oh, I shoot myself. And, and on average, it takes people 18 months to walk away from that. And it's so when I talk to people and when I'm coaching people, I always say, yeah, when you, you were just talking about that job you really hated, take you to 18 to 24 months to leave that job. Yeah. How'd you know? I knew from day one, I didn't like this job. And I'm like, how'd you know? It's, it's the average. It's actually the average. There are some people who will walk in and leave within the first month. There are some people who will walk in and leave in that six month period. Um, unfortunately for us, it's about less than 15% of the population that actually does that. And that's sad because we should be able to know how to ask the right questions in the interview to know whether it's the right fit for us. Or once we get into the situation, because there are some things that do happen where they say one thing and it becomes another thing. So when you get into those situations, and I worked in HR for 20 years, I, I know all about the background and what happens behind the scenes and everything that happens in the corporate world. So I actually do talk to clients now when they're looking for different paths and what they want to do. I'm a, I, you know, I, I work in the behavioral side of business. So that means... Yeah it covers a lot of area. And when I'm talking to somebody who's looking for a new career path or something of that nature, I always tell them, I'm just like, I just gave you a list of everything that could be within your motivations. I want you to come back to me with the top five and let's talk about it. And nine times out of 10, those top five things are always in the same family of something. Yes. It's always yes. the same realm. And I, and I just kind of, so I don't give them any information. I actually have an assessment that comes up and tells them yeah. what motivations are. And what assessment do you use? I use a disc 
profile. So, and that's where the four things come from. So it gives you this list of motivations for it. But I mean, there's every, it runs the gamut from, you know, working as a pilot all the way down to working as a counselor and, you know, and everything in between an art historian, everything there, because there's many different things that we're motivated to do based on who we are. And every time I do it, they have these little codes after them. And I tell them, then I tell them the secret after they pick their top five. I'm like, you see that number that's in the beginning? Every one of them have the same number before the dot. Hmm. They're part of the same job family. (laughs) (laughs) They are like, seriously? And I'm like, yeah. And then mine goes like, and then it's just like, like, so because I work with behaviors, I'm like behaviors. So I'm not reading people's minds, but our behaviors predict what we're likely to do. And that's what I explain to them. It's not telling the future. It's not it's not me saying you are this type of person because I have some super superpower. I actually have a superpower to recognize behavior, but I have no superpower to read people's minds. But people think it because they're like, how did you know that? And it's just like, yeah, yeah. because you fit in this profile because of your behaviors and you're likely to interact in this way. So I'm just knowing how people interact with one another. It's yeah. the skill. It's my superpower. It's what I do. It's why I did HR for so many years. People ask that question. They're like, uh, HR, why HR? And I said, actually, I got put into the role when I was very young. And I just happened to stick with it because somebody told me I was really good at this. You're really good with people, so I'm going to put you in this role. Yeah, and you stay there because people give you some recognition in terms of like that you're good at it and you think like, okay, this is maybe what I'm supposed to do, yeah. I was passionate about it. I loved what I was doing. Going back to something you said earlier, though, if, if that's okay, everybody holds a unique puzzle piece. And it's part of who you are, strengths, limitations, weaknesses, issues, things that you excel at, things that you're proud of. All of that is held in the specific puzzle piece. And that puzzle piece fits into a puzzle perfectly. So we need it all to do that. So if you think about that, when when you say, well, I really don't like that I do this, you can work on it. You can work on becoming better when you're interacting with people, but you should never completely get a, get away from it because it makes you and enhances you and makes so that puzzle piece is uniquely yours and it fits perfectly. And a lot of times people will ask the question, so I only fit in one puzzle. And I said, no, that puzzle piece fits in many different puzzles, but it fits perfectly to complete the puzzle when you're part, when you have the passion you have the understanding, you are doing what you're supposed to be doing, and you love where where everything is coming from. Yeah. The problem is we don't know how to find those puzzles very easily. No. Um, because it takes work and it takes self-reflection. And it's like um, when I start working with the client, the first thing we do is like reflecting back on what happened because the past holds a lot of gold nuggets into in terms of like their style what they like and don't like and that we can use them for for prediction of the future and it's it's not it's like a tedious process for a lot of people because they have been conditioned to do something for so long that looking back it's just like oh 
they've like they assumed and took for granted a lot of the things that make them unique and they don't see it anymore and then they lose touch like oh it's not unique everybody does that no that is it's definitely unique. that is yeah that makes you you and I, I always say like because when people say to me like everybody has the same like not everybody has the same skill but a lot of people have the same skills what makes me unique how can i stand out and it's like you alone worked in a certain environment in certain time with certain mm -hmm. stakeholders you have unique skills and talents that and it's that combination that makes you you it's your career dna but not a lot of people take time to unravel that or actually understand what makes them them because the shiny object is like just like i want that promotion just get me there as quickly as i as you can and then i will be happy <laughs> absolutely and it's like what do i need to do to make this happen but i i always go back and when i talk to people first of all behaviors can be changed over time because they are based on what you just said the experiences that we bring along with us and so if you take if you've ever done a disc profile and you took it as humans we have we have a basic need to be included and to be accepted so we take our experiences and we use it to our advantage as part of our nature. It's who we are. So, and when you tell people that, they're like, well, and I'm like, think about it. When you start to tell, do you have children? When you start to tell a child something, or if you're telling another adult about an experience, the very first thing you say about it is, in my experience. And yeah, that's because we have this luggage. I don't call it baggage because it's not baggage, it's luggage. And the great thing about luggage is think about a piece of luggage that you have. Every time you go on a trip to somewhere else, you take out the things that don't belong and you put the things that do belong in. And if you think about experiences in that way, it's a piece of luggage and you're putting in the right things. And if take you go skiing, it's different than if you go yes, to the Bahamas. Exactly. Yeah, and it's a luggage. <laughs> so when you're doing your career coaching, if you tell them, what does your luggage have in it? And what yeah. can you take out to make it right for the next thing that you want to do? I so, love that analogy, Jen. I'm going to steal that one. That's okay. That's what I said. So you can, I, gave, I actually was giving you permission to steal it. <laughs> luggage. And you think about it. What do you always carry with you? You always carry certain yeah. toiletries with you. Certain, you know, your deodorant, your hair styling products, your makeup bag. All of that stays the same each and every time you go because you have a certain thing that you like to do. And so, I mean, your toothpaste, your toothbrush, these are things that we carry with us everywhere. That's the core piece of you that doesn't really change. Not Everything really. around that core does. So it's the clothing. It's yeah. the ski jacket versus the swimsuit. <laughs> so if Please. you, it's luggage though. We all have luggage with us and we all carry that with us. And when it comes to being a good leader, you have yes. to understand how to, how to know what, you need each person to carry in their luggage and you need to know what they come with automatically. Do they already have a toothbrush? Okay. <laughs> you know, that's that thing that stays the same. And that's, yeah. you need to know how to recognize that, understand it and adjust to talk to them. When I, when I used to talk to people, I'm a very expressive individual. If you haven't noticed, I talk with my hands a lot. Yeah. When somebody would come to my office in a, in a, crisis type mode. 
My job was to calm them down. The very first thing I would do is have them have a seat in front of me and I would move my hands underneath my legs and sit on my hands. The last thing I needed them to do was to focus on something that could cause more stress and anguish to them because I needed to get them to a point where they could tell me what they needed to tell me. And if you notice what I just did with my voice, I do that as well. I change what I'm doing to calm people, to get them to a point, but I'm becoming and I'm adjusting my style to make sure that person can tell me their story. Because the most important thing that I had to do in that moment is learn the story and help them get to the next step of yeah. what they needed to do. And in HR, it can be a crisis every day. <laughs> so it really can. And, yeah. and, and so, but I just changed back into who I was because I'm speaking right now. So I'm more like I usually am with things. I'm more expressive. I'm more engaging in what I do. Yeah. But if you think about it, it was a simple thing that I did. I would was often told I feel so comfortable when I'm in here because that was the goal. The goal was yeah. to make the person comfortable. And yes. so that as a leader, that's what you have to do. You have to switch into the mode that makes the other person comfortable to get them to do what is yes. necessary. So that's that is the core piece of behavioral leadership is to understand once you understand who you are and what you're dealing with, you have to be able to know what comes next is how you react. And yes. the, the only thing we can control in any situation is what our reaction is to it. Yeah. I have a leading question. I have a couple of questions. Uh, again, <laughs> it's a never ending story, but my leading, my, my question from this is like, what are the signs that, your style is not aligned with that you're not adapting to what the needs are of your team um so there's many things that can be done but people's behaviors is the most important thing to watch i mean if you have a lot of people who won't speak up in a meeting and you're saying please speak up that's a sign that they're not comfortable speaking up in the meeting for some reason now well, that's one. Let's uh, have another one. Like, let's give give a couple of scenarios because I love these ones. Yeah. So in, in a scenario with what it is, there are different reasons why people won't speak up. So if they're not speaking up, it could be that you talk over people. It could be that every everything that they tell you, you say no to. It could be that every time they come up with an idea and you move forward with it, they get blamed if it goes wrong. There's so many different reasons that are out there. So you have to understand. So another thing is if you have too much of a friendly atmosphere with the people. Yeah. Yeah. You're the fun manager. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I have a lot of clients like that. They don't get from the mate manager. Yes. And if they are the mate manager, if they're the fun person, uh, you know, it's one of those things that when you're looking at it, if that's who they are, you there's a lot of issues that come along with that. They're not performing their task because they know you're not going to punish them type thing. It's an it's an idle threat. They're not performing because you're not giving them the direction that is absolutely needed. So they're frustrated because you're more focused on ensuring everybody likes you rather than giving them the tools and resources they need to perform because that's not fun. Yeah, that's yeah. not that that'll make them so they don't like me because I got to give them bad news. 
Um, I used to work for somebody who would make me give the bad news to everybody because they couldn't do it themselves. And then when I would make the mention of, I have no control over this because I actually fall into the, I want everybody to like me manager category. And I was young. So when I would say that they were like, why did you throw me under the bus? Because you made me say something horrible to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't me that was saying. And then, and then HR has a bad rep. Everybody yeah, hates understand. HR because, and they know they're always delivering the bad news. It's because managers are asked to. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I I had somebody look at me once and said, "Because it's your job to do that." And I said, "Actually, go look at my job description. Not once does it say I have to do that." It's like, it's not part of my job description. No. So that could be another thing. It could be that you're giving them the wrong type of resources because those are the resources you need. So again, this is all coming from behavior that's there. Yeah. So if you got a lot of blank stares or if you got a lot of people talking over one another, they feel like they have to be in a competition to win. That's not a good conducive environment for people to be um cohesive and efficient and effective in what they're doing. So yeah. behaviors tell you a lot. Um, if you ask a question and they say, whatever you want to do is the response. Yeah. I would ask why, why I want to know what you want to do. You're going to be in a mat in, in excuse the language, but you're going to be in a pissy match because they're not going to, they are never going to give you that information because you're not asking the right question or you're not giving them the right information to give you, or they're afraid to tell you because they don't want to upset you. So, so there's so many different things you can do. And like I said earlier, we talked about giving permission. You have to give them permission to do the things that you want them to do sometimes. Yes. You have to know what permissions you have to give. There are some people who ask a lot of questions because they can't make a choice without knowing all the information. You have to give them permission to not have all the information and you have yeah. to guide them and motivate them to make a choice without having everything because it's not necessary or it's not something that is available. Yeah. So it's, there's so, this, this is such a loaded question because there's so many different things. <laughs> but you, all, you <laughs> unraveled it really well. well. And so like, there, there are definitely two things I still definitely want to, to cover because you said there are four leadership style and one of them was a directive. Yes. So I want to cover what those leadership styles uh, are. And then I also want to cover like if somebody really feels like, okay, there's something wrong. Like I can't influence my team. My team is underperforming. I've tried everything. Like I want to get really practical. What's the first step they, they can do? For example, can they do a 360 or a survey that they don't do, but it's anonymous to find out actually what's really going on because the trust might be broken in certain situations. So, mm -hmm. so, but let's, let's focus on the, the, the four leadership styles. Yes. So one is directive. Is, is that correct? Or it's, am I it's, it's a director. It's a very direct style. Yes. Yeah. Um, actually I call it the problem solver. So they're very direct. They like a lot of high level information. They want to solve issues and they're motivated to solve problems and move on to the next problem. Yeah. So, uh, the second one is an influencer profile. This is yep. the fun style. This is the, we want everybody, to, but, but it's kind of one of those, well, you said ego earlier. This is the ego driven style. Actually. It's so funny because everybody thinks that the other one is more ego driven. 
The second one is actually ego-driven and it's hidden in this nice little package of making everybody happy around them because the underlying factor is I want everyone to like me type thing. I don't want to be the bad boss type thing. So in this style, they influence, they want to, they want people to do the things that they want to do, but they want to influence them and they're driven to do that. But they're also influencing people to be encouraged to have confidence. And they're the very inspirational leader as well. These are the charismatic people who you just want to sit next to. And you do want to listen to them talk all day long. Um, So those two styles actually make up what we call active profiles, the expressive side of things. They're very fast paced. They like a lot of high level information. They like to make decisions quickly. They like to go through things very quickly. One is because of the tasks and the other is because of the experience of things. So when we go down to the other side of things, the more conservative or passive styles, they're the more reserved and quiet. The biggest group of individuals falls into the helpers or the people who want compromise. They are the they are the people who shake yes <laughs> when they really mean no. Yes, people. Yeah. Uh, and and as leaders, these are people who are going to be more about security and how people are happy around them and making their team, make sure their team has everything to build the confidence, to ensure that people are taken care of and to be that as a leader, they speak up on behalf of their team. They actually speak up more than the other ones do most of the time because they won't speak up for themselves, but they'll speak up on behalf of their team. Yeah. Be that speaker. Again, it's a more slower pace type thing. They like to take information and digest it a little bit longer. And then the fourth one is going to be the conscientious, the process procedure type one. And they are the ones that like a lot of facts and details. They focus on the task and the process and procedure of things. They like the information. They like to ask yeah. questions. These are amazing of taking care of their clients and their team because they know exactly what their team needs because they pay attention. They ask all that information. The problem is they are highly focused and and it's, there's good situations, but the one thing that does come out with this is they're highly focused on the rules. They're highly focused on the process and procedure and they're highly uh, focused on the facts and details. And they tend to take the longest to make decisions about things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope that was a good explanation of all four. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so my, a question from that is like, what if you as a leader are a yes person, so the helper, and you have really uh, an influencer or problem solver in your team? Yeah. So <laughs> what happens is... What happens is you have to understand who you're dealing with and adjust to meet those needs. So if you have somebody who's more of that influencer and everything else, you have to be able to convey the message in the the language they need to hear it being spoken. So if you think of a Tower of Babel type thing, the leader is the Tower of Babel. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a good reference to make. <laughs> Babelfish. Let me say Babelfish or Google Translate or whatever it is. So the yeah. leader has to be able to translate into yeah. the language that the other person is speaking. And so if you if you think about 
it in those terms. We were actually talking about pronunciations earlier and how hyper-focused I am on pronunciations of things. And going back to how the, the way that it is, I actually went to, oh, it's exactly like this. I related it right away. Those my style is actually to relate to people very much so and, and, and yeah. understand. And if you are somebody who's always thinking about that and as a leader, knowing that you need to relate the information and convey the message so they properly understand and they get everything they need out of it. And yes. that, that goes with resources and everything else. Because for each of those leadership styles, there's an employee style that matches up with it very nicely. And so would you say that it's, uh, it's advisable, and now we're talking already a little bit maybe in the strategy yeah. part of you, part of you if, um, if shit hit the fan, basically, and it's like, oh, my God, my team is not doing what I want. Is one of the, the advice you would say is like, okay, do like a test or an assessment like that. So <laughs> even if you don't know it or they don't feel they can be honest to you, is a way to build that trust or regain that trust or? Yeah, so you can do an assessment to have a better understanding, but sometimes, and remember earlier when I said I was in HR and the one thing I would do is say, go talk to the people. Yeah, Walking to your employees is one of the best things to do because, and really have an open dialogue with the individuals. Now, if that trust has already been broken, it's very difficult to do that. And it's difficult to build on a foundation that's crumbling already. So you really have a lot more work to do in assessments and having the right coach in place or the right person who's guiding you through that process is probably the best answer for that. So if you have a toxic environment that has been created, and it doesn't even have to be your fault. It can be a manager that broke that trust that you had running the team and you're stepping in to fix the problems that were there. Of course, using as many resources to fix that, to rebuild the trust. Um, trust takes a very long time to build, but it takes very, It. Uh, I think the saying goes, it can take weeks and years to build and seconds to destroy. And that's all it is. And then it takes so much more time to build it back up because regardless of what has happened, and this goes for personal life as well, regardless of what has happened, they have broken your trust in some way. So keeping the trust level and keeping that on par is what is always prescribed in the situation. But talking to your employees is always the number one way to do that. And very much so. We talk about active listening. I'm sure as a leadership coach, you talk about active listening as well. Active listening is actually listening not to respond, but to understand. And a trick that I always tell my people that I coach and when I was in HR was you need to be listening so you can ask them, is this correct? And they say yes. Yes. Your goal is to do that. Be so, able to paraphrase. Yes. So if you are reading to comprehend what they're saying and paraphrase it back to ensure that you have clarity and you understand what they're trying to tell you, you are not listening to respond. The response comes later. And it's so difficult to do because the very first thing we are is wanting to respond to whatever's being said, especially yeah 
that's an issue or crisis. But if you're listening to paraphrase back, it's a it's a it's a good habit to have no matter what you're doing. Yeah, it's actually very interesting because you have like stages. Like you have like uh, most people react. Uh -huh. They don't even respond. They react to a situation, yeah. uh, and definitely, if it's a confronting situation or it's triggering them, they react really, uh -huh. and most of the time, also in a defensive manner. So yeah. they have a reaction. So it's like not even only to be able to respond, really creating that space so you can respond, but it's actually a stage before you're talking about. It's like really understanding and put everything, all the emotions aside and put everything aside, give your full attention to that person so you can actively listen, paraphrase, and then respond instead of react. Is that correct? Absolutely. Is that correct, Jen? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, it's like preparing. So when you do that with team members, they really think that you care about them. And a lot of times when I talk to co uh, to leaders of organizations or leaders of teams, they will say, I really care about my team. And then when I talk to the team, that's not what they think. And so I go back to the leader and say, so there's a disconnect. Let's figure out where the disconnect is. Because and so how do you figure that out? So you said like first step, or one of the steps ideally you do, first of all, is talking to the team. What else can you do to fix that disconnect? Once you once you talk and you actively listen to where the issues are, I always had a trick of saying, what do you think you should do in this situation? It's a gold nugget that most of us, you have to drop your ego to do it though. Because they're coming to you for advice. That is a confidence builder. That is an ego builder. That is something that makes you, I am the person who's going to solve this problem. And especially if you're a problem solver profile, yeah. you definitely, you definitely want to jump into that. But I always say, step back, ask them what they think should happen in the situation first, because that builds that you value who they are. Yes. That doesn't mean you have to follow through with it. And you have to have discourse and you have to have discussion after that. Yeah. And that, that yeah, that discussion should actually be on a positive action rather than a negative action, even if it's something that you know you can't do. So yeah. it's difficult to do that because our instincts are to say, I need to save this person. I need to take care of this person. I am charged and responsible for this person. And you, but the best thing to do is to actually say, so you, have you had some time to think about what you should do in this situation? Yeah. What do you think you should do? Yeah. Okay. And a lot of times my direction is if it's not illegal, it's not morally or ethically inappropriate to do this. It's not going to harm anybody in the process. You're not going to lose major funding or money or anything of that nature. So the company is not going to crumble if you take the action. Even if you don't think it's the right thing to do, one of the best things you can do is say, go do it. But there's a caveat to this. As a leader, your job is to be responsible for what happens. So your job is to create the safety net underneath the catch. When they're yes. going to so creating a safety net is still giving them the confidence but giving them the lesson of why something isn't appropriate or isn't the best thing to do yeah 
And as you go through this as a leader, it's, I will tell you, it's one of the most difficult things because one, the person's coming to ask you for advice Two, they're stressed out. They're highly emotional. They want to solve the problem. They're coming to you at probably months into something at times, you know, the project isn't working right. We need to get it back. They're, they're, they're concerned. They're emotional. They may think they're going to lose their job. And your response is supposed to be, what do you think we should do? Instead of saying, this is how to solve the problem. What happens is if they start to go down that path and they get lost again, they're more likely to come back and trust you to help guide them because you gave them confidence. Wouldn't you have a discussion with them to say the pros and cons and like say like, hey, let's let's plan it out in a scenario. That's that discourse. Yep, that's that discourse. So if it's not something you think that should happen and you really want to steer them in a different direction, you have that conversation with them as well. But still keep it on that positive thing. You're not actually saying no, but you're saying I actually what I used to do with people when I knew it wasn't the right thing to do. And I knew that it was just going to be a disaster and it probably wasn't going to be a good idea. (laughs) I would say that's a great idea. Is there anything else you can think of that would be a possibility of what we should do in this situation just to cover all the bases? That is not a no, but basically what I've just told them is let's think of something else. I told them no, but I did not say, yeah, we're not going to do that. That's not what's going to happen. That is the most idiotic thing I think I've ever heard. And sometimes that was what was in my head. And, but you I can't. do that. To be honest, Jen, I actually sometimes, do, even with my clients now, if they, they, if we do some training and I think it's rubbish, like I don't sugarcoat it. It's like, all right, that was not a good performance. Let's this is not it. really great. I have, at, so I'm a speaker and I speak in front and I do workshops and stuff like that. I have at, at, on occasion had somebody who was just like really given wrong information. Normally I say, that's a really good thing. Does anybody else have anything else? And then I steer it in the, the good things that we need to talk about. I have actually at times looked at somebody and said, nope, that's actually the opposite of what we need to be doing today. (laughs) And people will look at me because they're so used to me being, okay, guiding and telling people. And and if you're a client of mine, you know my MO is to always say, are you sure this is where we need to be going with this? (laughs) I mean, that's my way of saying, yeah, I really don't think this is a great way to go, but I'm not going to tell you no yet. I just want to hear what you have to say about this. And so there's so many different ways, but when I, when you're, you're exactly right, going through pros and cons, going through this stuff, that's part of that discourse. That's part of that before they walk away, because there are certain individuals that you're talking to that become overwhelmed if you leave it to them to make the choice or decision. So there is a little bit more guidance in how they get there and there's a little bit more, but that comes from that second thing I told you earlier, which is understanding who you're dealing with. And yeah. if they look, they're like looking at you going, oh my God, I can't do this. Or, you know, yeah. I, I also I also kind of look at it as, if you have an intern coming to you for advice, it's a really good method to teach them how to think on their own and things like that. But if they have no knowledge whatsoever in the case, one of the best, you, you tell them the information or you tell them where to get the information. Like I said, I I am a teacher uh, uh, and I will teach people to fish. I am not somebody who hands fish to people very easily. 
And if I have to hand a fish to somebody, the situation warrants it and it calls for it. And it's actually the appropriate thing to do. But too many times leaders fall into this. I just need to hand them the fish because yes, it's to save them, basically. Yeah, well, I hand them the fish. It's efficient. It gets it solves the problem. I'm telling them what to do. And, you know, when you teach delegation to people there, there are many schools of thought about how many levels there are. I usually go with six and, you know, but people only know the first and the last telling everybody what to do exactly and giving them explicit instructions on how to do something the way you want it done and handing them the task and telling them to go have at it and do it and don't bother you. Those are, that's step one and step six. Yeah. So tell us what's in between, Jen, what's in between? Uh, uh, So step two is having them give you information and having them still telling them what to do, but having them research everything and making that fine, making that decision. Step number three is when you give them some autonomy in what's doing They're they're bringing back information to you and you're asking them their opinion of what they, what you think they should do. So what I just was talking about is actually step three of delegation. And then yeah. step four is telling somebody, um, go and go and do the research, Tell me, tell me which one item you think you should do. Bring that to me and I'll let you know if that's what we're going to go forward with. Yeah. Step number five is actually step number four and step number five is really where delegation sweet spots are most of the time because yeah. you're giving autonomy to the person and responsibility, even though you're still involved in that. Step number five is actually saying if it falls within these parameters, have at it, make the choice, move forward, come back to me with any issues. If it falls outside of those parameters, come to me and then we'll talk about what we need to do. Yeah. And That's so a really good way of breaking, breaking it down. Yeah. yeah. So I go with six. I know some people go with seven, some people go with five, some people, I like the six type yeah. of thing because I think that there should be an extra middle step in there where you're just starting to let go uh, and, and get them involved in that decision making. I think people rush over that step sometimes yeah. and it makes it so you go backwards. Um, but as a leader, when you're doing this, your job should, you should think of yourself as a, a teacher, a fisherman, not a fisherman yourself at this yeah. point. Even though you still are a fisherman, you still are yeah. fishes. <laughs> it is. Um, it goes well, really well with a quote that I recently read, and I so love. It's like the definition of leadership is like when you can achieve when you don't want to achieve something on your own. That when you achieve something that's bigger than the work you can do alone. So you need a, a team around you, and you power them. Yes, I, I love that, and. Um, what I also wanted to say, and this I know it's a sensitive topic in so many areas, but I often, and so I'm going to make it to what in my experience and what I see with my clients is like there is a big difference when you talk about uh, really assessing who you're talking to and um, the situation. For me, there is a big difference between a lot of my male clients and a lot of my female clients in how directive, how direct I can be. Because when I reflect on what I said earlier in terms of like when I said like, yeah, that's that shit, let's do it again. I can do that not with all my male clients, but with a lot more and they appreciate it. But uh, there's so many 
female clients that I wouldn't do do that approach direct approach with. So it's really interesting to say like how you said that you adapt, of course, whoever you have in front of you. And that it's not really men or female. It's like just a different style that they best. have. Exactly. But yeah. just to categorize it. So yeah, no, that's that's exactly what it is. And the situation calls for different things. There yeah. are some you know, when I'm standing in front of a group of people who are highly sensitive and there's nothing wrong with highly sensitive, I actually, this is so funny because I had a client today say I'm overly sensitive. And I said, actually, what you should start thinking about is you're not overly sensitive. Most people are not sensitive enough. <laughs> and, yeah, that is such a good one. And, yeah. and, and then they kind of looked at it and they're like, I never really thought about it that way. And I said, just because the rest of us can't get to the level of sensitivity we need to in some cases, doesn't mean that you are the wrong person in that situation. Yeah. It just means the rest of us haven't caught up with it yet. Yeah. And, and I said, now there are some times where, yes, you may be overly sensitive, but I can't imagine that one individual is always overly sensitive in a situation. So if you're being told that quite often, it's probably because the rest of the people aren't taking the sensitivity to the level they need to have it. Yes. And it's because we're trained not to. Um, exactly. We're so conditioned to be the like, like having no emotions, bring no emotions to the workplace, be as serious, be losing all that personality stuff and the sensitivity and that vulnerability, like the book from yeah. Brene Brown that I love. It's like about bringing vulnerability to, to the workplace, just like. Yeah, it's not only bringing vulnerability, it's bringing all those emotions. Um, people say you need to take emotion out of things. And I'm like, no, emotion is a part of it. You just yeah. shouldn't use emotion in the discussion, no. but understand and embrace the fact that emotion is going to be part of it. Yeah. I yeah. will tell you right now, if I had somebody walk into my office that was crying, I never treated them like they needed to be treated with kid gloves because crying is an, is an expression. It is part of who you are. It is a response. It is something that you do. And it is part of how people respond. We cry when we're happy. We cry when we're sad. We cry when we're moved. We cry. We cry in so many different situations. Yeah. It's not a negative thing, but it has a negative connotation and it gets. And related. definitely in the workplace. Yeah. And, and people think you're weak when you cry. And, and I'm just like, I, and they I, apologize and it's like, and they go in this spiral, like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so upset. And they, they feel like it's really negative because it's like the emotion that comes out and then they, they're kicking themselves and blaming themselves for having that emotion, for breaking down and letting their guard down. And so they're even like in a worse place than afterwards. So bad. I would always just grab a tissue box, hand them the tissue box and say, have a seat. And then I would talk to them. And I never once ever said, I'm sorry you're crying. I never, I never really mentioned crying. No. I never told them to calm down. I never did anything. All I would do is sit down and start to listen to what they had to say. Yes. And of course, change my voice to be more calming, to get on your hands. <laughs> sitting on my hands. And you know, and these are things because people um, because of who I am, people think I'm like they are when I talk yeah. to them and they say, you and I are so much alike and have to actually 90% of the time, it's not a true statement. Yeah. But, but it's both because you match. 
Yeah. I'm matching who they are at the moment because I know that's what's going to make them comfortable. And that is why I teach behavioral leadership now, because the response you get from that is trust, confidence in you to do what is necessary. They become more empowered to share what is necessary. And if you think about the world of human resources, there's some really amazing things. Do you know how many times I had to hide that somebody was pregnant from people? It was a great thing that was happening, but I couldn't tell anybody about it. And I mean, you get some of the most amazing situations that you have to deal with, but you get some pretty crappy things too. Yeah. And you have to be able to be even killed with that and, and do the right things for people. But people would, it's sad because so many people who are going through pregnancy are scared to admit that they're pregnant yeah. um, and tell backlash because they think because I have to take a break, I'm not going to get this project or I'm not going yeah. to do this. And I would have to sit there and counsel them and say, I think you need to tell your boss as soon as possible, but it's not my job to do that. And I'm not going to do it, but let's come up with a plan of action for yeah. coming- and let's come up with a plan of action for you and things like that, you know. And I mean, I was finding out after their families were finding out because they were freaking out about their job. And yeah. but it was an amazing thing. And I'm just like, please don't forget that this is you bringing life into the world. Yeah. And this is amazing. And, you know, I would coach them on so many different things. And people to this day will say, that checklist you gave me, I give to all of the girls that work for me who are pregnant now. Yeah. They feel empowered and comfortable to do so. To yes. do you. So there's so many, as a leader, you can inspire and, and, and want to do that for people. That's what made me happy. And that's why I love yes. my job because I was capable of empowering somebody to feel comfortable with something that they were scared of. They were uncomfortable with. They were not wanting to share with the rest yeah. of the world yet. So when you get to do that as a leader, it's one of the most amazing things you can ever deal with. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think so too. It's like, and that's how you uh, you empower your team to, to stand out. And it doesn't really matter if you work in an organization where you think like, okay, they might actually like just, give direction and be very stern about how things are done. It doesn't mean that you have to be that way. You still can really be different in the way you manage your team and the way you show up and the experience you, you, you give give them. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you. I, we could talk for ages. I know. I came up with another subject that I said, like, oh, I want to ask her about this, but I'm, I'm sure uh, we're, we're on top of the hour or just past uh, already. So um, just to finish off, Jen, where can people find you, connect with you, work with you? Give us the goods. Um, so the best way to get a hold of me to find out what I'm doing, what workshops I have, if you guys want to you do do a meet and greet is www.coachjenbilger.com and that's C-O-A-C-H 
J-E-N-B-I-L-G-E-R.com. It's the easiest way. Everything is on that website. And just for those of you who want to explore the opportunity of doing an assessment, I find them to be very valuable. And even though I'm a person who usually knows who I'm dealing with by talking with them, and I, and I can tell you what your style is type thing, normally with what you say and how you say it, um, it's a valuable resource for you to validate how you feel and who you are and how you show up and to kind of give you that resource and information. So you're welcome to contact me. If you use, and if, are you, if you're going to post this on a website, I, I'm happy to do this. On my website, if you go and say book online, if you, you use the code G as in George, C as in cat, um, five zero percentage sign OFF, you will get 50% off any assessment that I have. And I have ones okay. that are focused on leadership, focused in sales, and focused in just a general communication style. So, okay. yeah, so it's GC five zero percentage sign 50% off. I'll put that in the show notes so you can yes. make sure you send me the right spelling. <laughs> I will do that. Yeah, I know. It's just like, but that's that's a super secret code to get 50% off the assessment. That's so, so generous. You Thank get you. Get that for yourself so you can do that exploration. And, and yes. because I find them to be important to understand who you are. I will tell you, I've been doing this for many, many, many years. There's a piece that's a part of the assessments that I use now when I got trained on it when I actually did my own, I'm like, this is why I left the corporate world. I did not know this is why I left, but it tells um, you hidden motivations. And it does surprise most people when you read through them. Some people know themselves very well and yeah. it's, it's a validation of those things. But there's a lot of people who read through this and say, I didn't understand that this is why I did the, what I was doing, or this is actually a true motivation for me, or this is why I made this choice. So, Brilliant. Thank you very much, Jen. Now, even though you're based in Denver, people all over the world can actually contact yep. you. I uh, do. Yep. I absolutely do virtual stuff and I love it. But, and I will, I am a night owl. So whatever time is convenient for you, even with where, because you're in the morning right now, right? Uh, it's uh, near 11, 17. So 11, it's, uh, so still morning. Okay. So it's in the evening here. <laughs> so I am good, but I have actually done where I've worked with people in Singapore, which means I'm on the phone with them at 10 o'clock at night because it's morning yeah. for them. So it's We're you not know, far from Singapore. So uh, yes, actually yes. we are far, but <laughs> the other, yeah. So and it's just like one of those things. So I am good to be flexible for what's convenient for your time zone as Thank well. Um, I'm just not a really good morning person. I'm a night owl. So I will push you into whatever that is. Sometimes, <laughs> but I know I'm actually really flexible to work with people That's too. So all right. Brilliant. Thanks again, Jen. It has been invaluable uh, spending this time with you and understanding more about behavioral leadership and also how, like the, the different styles and how we can use those styles to empower our team. So 
Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, if anybody wants to reach out to Jen, um, I will put everything in the show notes and connect with her on LinkedIn or reach out to her via her website so uh, to find out more. Thank you so much, Jen, and Thank have a lovely you. evening. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Career Disruptors podcast. If you did, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. And if you want to take the next step in your career and you want to discover how I can help you, head over to my website, newhorizoncoaching.com.au and discover how we can work together or download any of my free resources. Thanks again and I'll connect with you on the next episode.